Let me ask you to take your Bibles and turn to Colossians chapter 3 this evening. Colossians chapter 3. How does having a new man change the way that we relate with one another? Well, this passage gives us the answer. That we serve the Lord in how we relate with our family and at work. We finished last time by seeing that whatever we do, we must do in the name of the Lord Jesus. And here we see how that plays out in our home and at work. And one of the recurring themes that we're going to see throughout this is that Christ is our Master. Christ is the Lord. And so because He is our Lord, His mastery over us affects our relationships. Whether we are in a position of authority over other people or we are under the authority of another person. Christ's Lord affects how we relate to one another. In other words, those who have the Word of Christ dwelling in them use their relationships to serve Christ. So let's look at the text together, beginning in verse 18. This is the Word of God. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. Slaves, in all things obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. Masters, grant to your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. Paul began chapter 3 with an exhortation to be heavenly minded. Set your affections on things above, not on the things that are on the earth. That we must fix our gaze on the risen and exalted Christ. And here, Paul shows us how that looks in our relationships. That wives must submit to their husbands by gazing on Christ. Husbands must love their wives by gazing on Christ. Children, fathers, slaves, masters. So, we must seek the interests of Christ, chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. We are dead to sin, and so we need to stop hanging out at the grave, putting on our former clothes. Instead, of put, put those, instead, put those things off. Put off our former way of life and start living righteously. Start living in a way that pleases God in everything that we do. That's what we saw last time. So what does gazing on Christ, what does making Christ's interest, our interest, look like in our relationships? And here we see the answer to that in our relationships, beginning with wives, verse 18. And uh, the the point of the, the text, I think, is Christ's Lordship changes our relationships. Christ's Lordship changes our relationships. So first, wives. Notice, first, we have the steward. Who, who has this responsibility? That's what I'm going to call the steward in each case. 
as we get to each different person. The steward is, in this case, the wives. The recipient is husbands. And notice, wives be subject to your husbands, or as Ephesians says, to your own husband. So, ladies, God has not called you to submit to all men or to all husbands or even another husband. God has called you to submit to your own husband. Now, let me be clear that there will be other men who have authority over you, like in Hebrews 13:17, that we must obey the leaders of the church, or Romans 13, obey the government, Ephesians 6, you know, obey your boss. Even here in, um, in uh, verse 22, we see the same idea. But don't fool your conscience into thinking that you have to submit to every single husband in the church just because they're a man. There are other men who you will have responsibility to submit, but you don't submit to them to the same degree that you submit to your husband. In other words, the, the, the focus, uh, the sincerity, the, the, um, the, um, the, the focus of your submission ought to be uh, greater because of the person to whom you're submitting. That is, that you are closer with your husband than any other man to whom you must submit. So, so that there, you, you must submit to them to a greater degree. Now, the command here is there in the text. It says, be subject to. Be subject to. Very simply, it means to submit. So, submit to your husband or to obey. You might be thinking, well, that's fine. I'm happy to submit my husband whenever I agree with them. But technically, when you obey your husband or do what he wants when you agree with him, that is not submission. Submission, according to the word English dictionary, is yielding oneself to the will of another. So when you do something because you and your husband correspond in thinking, that is simple agreement. That's not submission. Submission is yielding your potentially contrary view to the will of your husband. So submission comes into play when you disagree with your husband. That's what submission is all about. And that's why there has to be a specific command for it. Because otherwise, uh, we would have uh, people going their own ways in relationships. We have two different choices going on, and, and really, um, God, God wants us to be one. So, be subject. The motivation, notice at the end of the verse, as is fitting in the Lord. So, here's your higher motivation, wives. It's not based on inferiority. We are all made in the image of God. This is not forced subservience. This is willful submission by the wife to the husband. That she wants to do this. Why? Because it's fitting to the Lord. It's, it's fitting with what following God looks like. So, if Christ commands me to do it, then I want to obey it. So, if Christ commands you to submit to your husband, then you'll want to obey that command. Christ is Lord over wives, so submit to your husbands. Secondly, Christ is Lord over husbands, so love your wives. Verse verse 19. Christ is Lord over husbands, so love your wives. The steward here is the husband, or husbands, plural. Recipient, wives. And the command is really twofold. Love and do not be embittered. Husbands, we have responsibility to loyally love our wives. What does it mean to love your wife? We'll turn over to Ephesians chapter 5 because Paul gives a fuller explanation there and I think it would be helpful just to see 
what it looks like to love my wife. What, what it looks like for you to love your wife. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself up for her so that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word, that He might present to Himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So, husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself. And the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. So what does it mean to love your wife according to this passage? To love is to give up my own personal interests for the sake of my wife in order that I do what Christ wants to do for the church, which is, notice verse 26, so that He might sanctify her. Here's what Christ is doing for the church. He is giving up His own personal interests for the sake of us so that we might be sanctified. That's what love is. And, and, and I think that picture ought to be, our, our marriage ought to be a smaller picture of what Christ is doing in the church as a whole. And so, husbands, we ought to love our wives in a way that leads her to sanctification. In addition to that, we must love our wives in a way that, that, um, that we love ourselves. Verse 28, so husbands also ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. What do we do for our own bodies? We nourish and care for them. Right? No one ever hated his own body. And so when you come to the marriage relationship, you have become one with your wife and so she is part of you. So that means that you must love her like you love your own body. You should nourish and care for her like you care for your own body. Again, following the example of Christ, just like He cares for us. He cared for, cares for us. In fact, the marriage is really just a smaller, temporary picture of what Christ has done for the church and what we'll enjoy for all of eternity. That Christ is working to, to, to save us. First, he's, he, he set us apart for His purposes by, by purchasing us with the blood that He paid for on the cross, and then He works to sanctify us as a church. And I say it's a temporary picture that is marriage because it's not going to last for eternity. Our marriage, husband and wife, it only lasts till death. There's no marriage in heaven besides the, the marriage of Christ and His bride, the church. So turn back to Colossians chapter 3. There's several other passages, men, that, that you can go to, to to reflect on that. First Peter uh, talks about how wives ought to um, live with consideration of what... So, so you know, we might look at that first command to wives and say, well, they have to submit even when they have a contrary will or a view, but, but technically, men, we should never be leading them to do anything that, that wouldn't be best for them, right? When we're selfishly leading, when we're selfishly doing... We're not loving. We're not doing what we're supposed to do. 
Here's the second command that's really a part of properly loving our wife, and it is do not be embittered in verse 19. The idea is do not continually be bitter against your wife. Don't, don't treat her harshly. The reason for the command is, as we can imagine, by nature, men are stronger. And we often have louder voices. And so when we want to get our way, we overpower our wives, either physically or audibly. But the Holy Spirit is calling us not to be harsh, but to be caring. Don't be constantly bitter uh, embittered against them. We will help our wives be able to submit better when we love them properly, like Christ loves the church. Happy submission makes it easy for us to love, but it's not a prerequisite to our responsibility to love. So even if your wife, you might be thinking, well, my wife doesn't submit very well. You still have a responsibility to love. How well do we as a church submit to Christ? Right? Does that nullify Christ's love for us? Absolutely not. He still loves us. So men, we need to not use that as an excuse. We need to lovingly lead no matter what. Recognize that she can submit more easily when we are loving her as we love her own body. And when we're loving her and and trying to move her towards sanctification and influence her in that way. So, wives, you help your husband love when you submit well. Husbands, you help your wives submit when you love well, but, but recognize that no matter which side of the equation you're on, neither one of those if, is, a re, is a requirement for you to obey the command that you have. So, if your husband is not loving, that's not, a, that's not uh, uh, an excuse for you to just say, well, I'm not going to submit. And, and husbands, the same thing. Remember, marriage is a picture of the church and we do not submit perfectly to Christ and yet He still loves us. And so, husbands, we need to learn from His example. Do not be embittered toward your wife. Instead, love her like you love your own body. Christ is Lord over you. Number three, Christ is Lord over children, so obey. Verse 20, Christ is Lord over children, so obey. The steward here is, or the stewards are the children, and then the recipients are the parents. The recipients of the command, that is. The command is to be obedient. Notice the extent of your obedience, children. What is it? Children, be obedient to your parents in all things. So notice, young people, there are no exceptions that Paul gives here. God has given your parents to you for your good. And they know a lot more than you do, whether they are believers or unbelievers. They have been a child themselves and they have your best interests in mind. And so obey them in all things. Notice your motivation, children. Verse 20, For this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Have you ever obeyed your parents and not got rewarded? Have you ever had a time when, when you knew what you were doing was right and you did it in direct obedience to your parents and yet nobody noticed? Nobody responded? That's okay. You may not get immediate recognition when you obey your parents. You may not get a prize from them. But keep in mind this last part of verse 20. 
what you are doing is well-pleasing to the Lord and God recognizes if no one else does. So that when you obey, you are doing what pleases your heavenly Father. Christ is Lord over children, so obey. Fourthly, Christ is Lord over fathers, so don't provoke or so help. In verse 21, so help. The steward here is the first word again, fathers. Now, this could include both fathers and mothers, but and I think there is application for mothers here in this verse, but I think this is primarily directed at fathers because we fathers have the primary responsibility for raising our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We have the primary responsibility to do the leading. So this command is for you, fathers. The recipient, children, the command, don't exasperate. Don't exasperate your children. Don't provoke them to resent you, as one author says. Don't provoke them to resent you. Don't be unfair in your treatment of children. Don't irritate them. Don't stir them up. Don't nag them, belittle them, ignore them, or neglect them. Don't move them to a place to, to, to where, where they just want to crawl up into a little hole and, and give up on life. Sometimes we justify are provoking as fathers by thinking, well, you know, they need to learn how to experience rough treatment, and so I'm going to help them with that. They, they can't be coddled all the time. They can't have their hand held. But notice what can happen if we go too far. Notice what can happen if we exasperate them. Look at the text. So that they will not lose heart. So, so what can happen if we do exasperate them, if we do embitter them, is that they will lose heart. And so... Here's what God is saying to us, fathers. Don't be the cause of your children's disheartening. Now, obviously, the other extreme is to be passive. Paul is certainly not calling for that. Now, just be buddies with your children. It's not what he's calling for. Because the nature of parenting is that you're going to have to disappoint your children on occasion. And maybe often. But the point here is not to do it unnecessarily. This is where we can fall into the trap thinking because I have this authority I can do whatever I want. And so one thing that I've been thinking about for myself is, is as my kids are getting older that it would be helpful for us as fathers to, to get past the because I said so reason for doing things. Now I think that's important especially when they're young they don't understand all the concepts of why they can't put their finger near an outlet. <clears throat> Or put some metal object, I should say. You have to have really small fingers. But so, and I think even when your kids are teenagers or, or or maybe a little younger than that, even it's okay to say because I said so. I'm not saying that you should never do that. But but I think sometimes we need to get past that. I mean, they they do need to learn that that it, they should obey sometimes even when they un, under, don't understand because there are going to be commands from God that they receive and they're not going to understand why but they just need to obey because God said so. Or their boss is going to tell them to do something they're not going to see all that their boss sees and know all the reasons why or the government or whatever. They're going to have to obey a lot of people just because those people said so. So, so I'm not saying that it's necessarily a bad thing. However, if that's the only reason we ever give, we can't explain to our children why we do something when they are old enough to understand. 
then I think what we're doing there is we're using the because I said so excuse as a way to say, do what I say, not what I do. Or do what I say because I'm the boss. You know, Dad, why can't, why can't I boss other people around and you can? You know, Dad, why can't I have three bowls of ice cream and you can? Okay, that, that question's never been asked in our house. But, <clears throat> you see, when, when we don't give reasons as they're old enough to understand, what we're doing is we're teaching them that might makes right. That is, that whoever has the most power, whoever has the most authority, gets to do whatever they want. So, instead of learning to obey and to do it to God's glory, they look forward to the day when they can be a mom or when they can be a dad so that they can make the rules and they can force people to serve them. Fathers, we need to guard ourselves in our own hearts so that we do not embitter our children in a way that causes them to lose heart. Don't be the cause of their disheartening. So if you are a father, you have a natural and sin- sinful inclination to deal harshly with your wife and with your children, but the Scriptures call you to put that aside and to treat your family with care and compassion. And fathers, can I just further challenge you for a minute? You may not think about this very much, but, but you represent God to your children. Did you ever consider that, that you bear the same name as He Father? Did you ever consider why that is? Why did God call Himself our Father and then allow us to have that same name? And I think the answer is that we model to our children the way that He cares for us as our Father. So you represent God to your children. How they think about God is very much determined by how you treat them as their father. Let me ask you a question. Based on how you have raised your children so far, do you, do you want your children to have an idea of who God is based on what they've seen in you? Is that how you want your children to think about God? Let's take an extreme example. A father who hates his son a father who abuses his son and who abandons his son. What do you think that son's going to think about when someone later in life says that God is your loving father? He comes to be an adult. And he thinks of the word father as someone who doesn't care, who has no compassion, who abandons. So, obviously we're not there. Okay, We haven't abandoned our kids. Hopefully we haven't abused our kids. Our kids. Hopefully we don't hate our kids. But, but what kind of images are going to come to mind when your child thinks of God as his father? I mean, is it not true that much of how you think about God in some effect comes from how your father treated you? God has told us what he is like and that, and that is where our children ultimately should learn about who he is. Right, we, we, we ought to keep pointing them back to, even though I fail, here's what your Heavenly Father does. But, in some way, in some degree, they learn by what they see in you. So model the compassion and the care 
of your Heavenly Father. Don't exasperate them. Don't be the cause for them losing heart. Number five, Christ is Lord over workers, so work. Christ is Lord over workers, so work. Verses 22 through 25. The steward here are slaves. This is not an endorsement of slavery by the Bible. It's a regulation of something that was already going on. Similar to divorce, right? Jesus said, you know, we wouldn't have made... God, I would not have made rules with regard to divorce if you wouldn't have come up with the idea. Right? So, so slavery is not God's intention here. That is that He desires it or endorses it. But, but I think it's good that there were slaves back in the Bible in the sense that it helps us. Because if the Holy Spirit calls slaves to respond to their masters in this way that we're going to talk about, then cannot we at-will employees not obey these commands as well? We certainly are not slaves to our bosses. We are at-will employees. We choose whether we are going to work there or not. And so it's interesting that these indentured servants, they're not given a command by Paul, you know, get what is coming to you or have a sense of entitlement. You deserve more. You shouldn't be a slave. Or, or something like strike, you know, form a, a, a picket line against your management so that you get what you deserve. Nothing in there about that. No, he, he's basically going to tell them, keep your heads down and serve your boss. Where, where are you at right now in your employment? Then, then obey your boss. So the recipients are masters on the earth and then the command is, notice again this, this all-inclusive phrase, in all things obey. As employees, we are quick to make excuses for why we can't obey or why we don't want to obey. But notice the extent of our obedience. In all things. Now obviously, just like with children... If your parents tell you to do something that is against the Scriptures, that is evil, then you would disobey your parents in order to obey God. Same thing is true at your work. But what Paul does is he doesn't give those exceptions because we would focus on those. Instead, he says, obey. Notice the means there in verse 22. Not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity, fearing the Lord. So how do we obey in all things? Well, we, we make sure that we are working hard even when our boss is not looking. See, external services, oh, my boss is here in the room. Now I'm really going to look like I'm working. Oh, now my boss is left. Now it's time for me to, to get back to my, my game of solitaire or minesweeper or something. You see, even unbelievers are good workers when their boss is looking. And yet we're called to a higher standard. We're called to obey our masters in everything. Not just to please them externally, but recognizing that there's someone else that's always watching. Even when our boss isn't, or maybe there's a camera there that's always watching us, even when those aren't there, we know that God is watching and so we're serving God ultimately. That's why I say Christ is Lord over workers, so work hard. Notice the motivations in verses 23 to 25. I I don't think I have those up there. 
Oh, verse 23. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. So first, first motivation is that the Lord is always watching. Here's why we work hard. Because even when our boss is not watching, the Lord is always watching. So just work just as hard when no one's watching as when someone is watching. That's what it means to fear the Lord while you work. Secondly, second motivation is that the Lord will reward you for your good work. The Lord will reward you for your hard work. Verse 24, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance is the Lord whom you serve. See, the reward that you're working for does not come on payday. The reward that you receive from your uh, work does not come at the, the annual company meeting when you get a, an award. The reward that you receive for working hard comes from your Master in Heaven. That's ultimately why you're working. And so that affects you whether you have a full-time vocational job or you're working at home. Recognize who you're ultimately working for and know that the Lord will reward you for your hard work. Thirdly, the Lord will punish those who oppose Him. Verse 25, here's the third motivation which serves as a negative motivation. Why we shouldn't uh, work just externally just to please men because the Lord will punish those who oppose Him. For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done and that without partiality. Here we have a warning for believers that God will judge those who oppose Him. At the judgment seat of Christ, God's going to bring every deed that we've ever done to account, whether it's good or evil. And without partiality, God is going to, God is going to make an evaluation of how we worked. He's not going to delineate whether you were the authority or the servant. He's not going to delineate whether you're the employer or the employee. He's not going to give you special treatment either way. Rather, He's going to impartially weigh your responsibilities. What were you supposed to do? And then judge you according to those responsibilities. So, Christ is Lord over us as workers, so we ought to work hard recognizing that He's always watching, that He will reward us. Uh, finally, Christ is Lord over bosses, so be fair. Chapter 4, verse 1. Christ is Lord over bosses or employers or masters, so be fair. The steward here, the stewards are masters. The command... Uh, particularly would have struck a chord for the Colossian congregation because they had at least one master over a slave in their congregation, Onesimus. Onesimus was the master of Philemon who's going to receive this letter along with Colossians. And so this would have struck a chord with Onesimus at the very least. Maybe there were others who had, who had people working for them as well. The recipients are slaves. The command is to the command for masters are, is to grant justice and fairness. So, if you're in a position of authority, you have people working under you, don't use your position of power to, to take favorites and to treat people with too much leniency when they need structure. And don't treat them with too much harshness when they need mercy. Treat them with fairness and justice. 
Notice the motivation that seems to be running through all of these, uh, or at least most of these um, relationships. And it is at the end of verse 1. You too, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. Knowing that you too are a slave yourself. You belong to Jesus Christ. You don't make your own choices. So consider that when you're giving people orders or when you're giving them responsibilities. We might think that the ordinary stuff of life is, is unimportant. But, but really, living in a way that honors Christ in the mundane fabric of home life and in the mundane fabric of work life is what demonstrates real spiritual fruit. Here's a great way to see the Holy Spirit's work in you is how you respond in these various situations. Because no one knows you better than the people that you work with and even more than that, the people that you live with. Few things give a better window into your heart than how, to, how you treat your family, how you treat your boss, how you treat your employees. And if Christ is Lord over all these relationships, then He changes how we relate to one another, doesn't He? And so let's show compassion and faithfulness in our home and our work to the glory of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for the resources that You have given to us. Thankful that You've given us families, given us parents and spouses and children and jobs, perhaps employees for some. Lord, we pray that You would help us to relate to each person in these relationships in a way that understands that You are Lord over all, that Christ is our Master. We serve Him. Lord, it's not easy. We've talked about some pretty hard things to do. To love like Christ loves. To submit to a person who's imperfect. To obey imperfect parents. To not treat our children harshly. Lord, we have a great responsibility here. But we've been given what we need for life and godliness. We have everything that we need to obey You. So, Lord, please remove from us all the excuses and the sins that so easily beset us in these ways and help us to express our genuine faith in You and how we relate to one another in these ways. We pray that the result would be that our church would grow in maturity and unity and that the world who is watching will see our good works and glorify You in heaven. Lord, may we grow in love for one another as we relate to them and express our faith in You. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.